With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that 3-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They are a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get <laughs> in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No. I'm f***ing geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. Yes, another edition of the Hardwood Handicappers podcast. I am your humble guide throughout the next, I don't know what, 45 minutes to an hour. Jonathan Von Tobel, an awesome episode today. Tom Byrne, Sirius XM NBA postgame show Monday through Friday. Mad Dog Sports Radio as well is going to be with us. Fantastic conversation with Tom. Uh, he's got his sports betting model, what he's looking at. And a lot to talk about, too, with some of the bigger picture teams, right? Milwaukee, the Los Angeles Clippers, and of course, of course, the New York Bleepin' Knicks who as of today, we're recording this on a Thursday, have won eight consecutive games, have covered 11 consecutive games. That's something we care about a little bit more. And they're doing so while being the fourth best offensive team in the league. It's been absolutely incredible to watch what the New York Knickerbockers have been able to pull off. And can I just note too, by the way, I love, hey, I might be very, if you've, if you've listened to any of my work, you know, Matt Humans likes to give me a hard time because I always like to say, that Madison Square Garden is not the Mecca. I'm very millennial in my regard that, hey, you know what, you guys, you, you old heads, you take New York a little too seriously, right? Over the last few years, nobody's really wanted to play there. I am also a man of logic, and I also understand how much better the league is when the New York Knickerbockers are good. But I also love, which was my original point, the full name Knickerbockers is so much better than the actual New York Knicks, and I've always tried to get that to stick. So that is my true love. But the Knicks are, I don't want to say they're back, but they're a crap load of fun, man. And Julius Randle has been absolutely incredible. But this team has been great. And, and there's so much that kind of comes out from this winning streak for the New York Knicks. But to run through some of the numbers for what this team has done, again, 11-0 ATS run, fourth best offensive rating in the league. Offensive rating, according to NBA.com, of 117.8 points, every 100 possessions. And so much of this is behind just this unreal surge of shooting, right? Knicks is a team during this winning streak. 32 three-point attempts per game in non-garbage time minutes. They're shooting 42.9% on those shot attempts, according to Cleaning the Glass. Role players, right? Reggie Bullock, 44.4% on 8.2 three-point attempts per game. Derrick Rose, 14.9 points per game on 50% shooting from the floor. They have been so much fun to watch, and they have been a legitimately good team. And the thing is, because if you remember going back to the All-Star break, I'm ready to admit, I think I've, by the way, I think I have established myself as somebody who is freely admitting when I am wrong, right? For example, the two teams I had circled to fade a little bit here down the second half, 
the New York Knickerbockers, and the San Antonio Spurs. Well, the New York Knicks are spitting in my face and kicking me a thousand times. It's like the Rick and Morty episode with the dragon where the wizard has the 12 kicks and he just starts beating the crap out of Rick. Like, that's me. I am just getting kicked over and over again by the New York Knicks for how well they have been playing. Uh, But that defense has been legitimately good. And we talked in the first half, right after the first half, that some of the numbers in the tracking data suggested that the New York Knicks isn't suggested, it said, that the New York Knicks were giving up a lot of wide-open looks. In fact, the most wide-open three-point looks of any team, and yet they ranked first in terms of shooting percentage on those threes, case in point. They were just getting lucky, right? They were just giving up a lot of open threes. They weren't just going down. Well, those wide-open threes have now become tightly contested threes, and they still aren't going down at the same rate. So, like, this has become a legitimately good team defensively. Now, I think there is obviously some room for this offense to regress. This is not a team that is going to post a 117.8 offensive rating for the rest of the season or shoot 43% on 32 three-point attempts per game. But this is a team that is legitimately good. Like, Eastern Conference good could probably be the four seed, which they're in control of right now. Got a massive win over the Atlanta Hawks yesterday to kind of take control of that a half game up there. But this is good, man. This is a really good story for the, for the league. And it's always pretty good to see the New York Knicks be a legitimately good squad. Am I ready to back off of my stance, Matt Humans, that Madison Square Garden is still the Mecca? No, I'm not. I'll be stubborn in that. I will be stubborn in that. Won't admit I'm wrong there. And really, how do you quantify it anyway? Uh, but the next, the story, the story of the league today, it's been absolutely incredible. And like I said, you know, there's there's so much that stems off of this, right? You know, I for those of you who have been listening to this podcast, for those who have watched the work over the last few months, know that I'm invested in Julius Randle to win Most Improved Player at twenty two to one. This dude is now a five dollar favorite to win that award, and he's absolutely freaking incredible again last night. Forty points, eleven to twenty one shooting. Over this run of games, 11 games, right? Again, the 11-0 and streak for Julius Randle, 28.2 points per game, 9.5 rebounds, 6.9 assists, 44.4% shooting from the floor, 40.8% from deep on seven attempts per game. Oh, and by the way, over his last four, he's got two 40-point games. <laughs> he's been great. I didn't really love the final possession of regulation. Really took a lot of time and just ended up in a baseline fadeaway jumper and they eventually went to overtime and beat the Atlanta Hawks, which, by the way, Bogdan McDonough, holy crap, slow down. The end of that game in regulation, he was insane, including the three-point shot that ended up tying it up. But you, you have an award winner potentially in Julius Randle, and then you have another award winner potentially in Tom Thibodeau, who's the third choice to win coach of the year. Still got double-digit odds in the range of 11-1. to 1. The market has kind of reflected like my, my lick the finger and stick it in the wind test, which is if you kind of read and take in enough NBA media, it does seem like the two Western Conference coaches and Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams have a really strong hold on this potential coach of the year award. But like 11-1, to 1, we're going to talk about this with Tom coming up in a little bit, where value in NBA awards is not the same as value in a futures market, right? Because in a futures market, when it comes to teams, I can grab onto a statistical nugget or two that I think is going to play out over a larger sample size and thus feel like there is some legitimate value in a number like that. But like finding value in like a Steph Curry at 101, sure, right? He had his 30-point game. He had his 30-point game streak snapped. I think I said that properly the other day against the Washington Wizards, and people were snatching up like, hey, you know, Steph Curry 101, that's some value. There's a chance. In no realm is Steph Curry winning MVP this year, right? So while there is inherent value potentially in Steph Curry at 101, congratulations, he's going to go from getting like one first place vote to like three, maybe five. But he's not going to get a dent in the 90 first place votes that Nikola Jokic got in Tim Bontemps' straw poll about a week and a half ago, right? So that's what I mean where value is kind of different in awards as opposed to value in a futures market. So while there is probably some inherent value in a Tom Thibodeau to win coach of the year, it's not really something that I'd like run to go grab onto. Now, he does have the added bonus of coaching in New York, and I think that is going to sway some media members to fall into the category of, hey, Tibbs potentially brought the New York Knicks back, baby, and I'm going to vote for him for coach of the year. That's potentially something that works in his favor. But I just don't know. Like He was 20-1 to a couple of weeks ago. I'd rather have that there. 11 to one's not terrible, but again, how voters handle coach of the year, it's going to be incredible. So you have a potential coach of the year candidate. You have a potential most improved player. And by the way, we talk about MVP votes. Julius Randle better appear on some bleeping MVP ballots. All right. Even if it's like third, fourth, fifth place votes, this guy deserves it, right? We need to rethink the way we look at MVP. And if Julius Randle doesn't get a single MVP vote, there's something wrong with the system with the way we think about things because Randall has been absolutely incredible, and these Knicks are not sniffing 
the fourth seed, which they're currently in control of right now, without Randall, the level of play and the way he's improved as an NBA player. So the Knicks are awesome. We're going to talk more in depth about them with Tom, uh, about a lot of the role players, what they've been able to do, their future, the potential for the future for the New York Knicks in terms of this year, not big picture, but in terms of staying power in the Eastern Conference, the ability to win a playoff series. But we start our show, as we always do, with the hardwood headlines and really just kind of one that I, I wanted to touch on. And then one more topic before we get to Tom. Uh, but last week on the pod, if you listened, you know, and it's in the Twitter bio now, at me, JVT, the white flag is up. James Harden is not going to win the MVP. Again, going back to I freely admit when I'm wrong about things, right? Shout out to Doug Kazarian, by the way, who tried to give me some shade on social media the other day. <sighs> You're right. I got to burn my James Harden MVP tickets, but so do you, buddy. Get your Damian Lillard tickets out of here, bro. Might as well be used as kindling in a fire. I don't even know if people don't really build fires anymore. Technology people are lazy. Um, where was I going? Oh, yes. James Harden. So James Harden officially hits a setback and he's going to be out for an undisclosed amount of time, right? Then the wording out of Brooklyn, the wording has, I think been kind of dark for the most part, right? From the official statement, James Harden medical update, Brooklyn Nets guard, James Harden experienced a setback while conducting an on-court rehab session on Monday. Today's Thursday. So that happened on Monday. Following an evaluation today, which included an MRI, Harden will remain out indefinitely. Updates regarding his status will be provided as appropriate. Malik Andrews with the quote from Steve Nash. We're back to square one. He will be back when he's back. It might be the playoffs. It might be sooner. End quote. So it doesn't look good. It doesn't sound very good. And here's my thing when it comes to this Harden injury. And it ties my two topics here before we get to Tom in nicely together. And I wrote about this this week in Point Spread Weekly. If you checked out the work, you know where I'm going with this. And if not, the point is, is that the Brooklyn Nets are very much in danger of becoming the Los Angeles Clippers from last year. Because the Los Angeles Clippers were a team that we all assumed last year, despite the fact that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard barely played together. We saw, I think it was a 13-game stretch in the second half where they finally got things together, and they looked really dominant. But ultimately... The lack of continuity and some infighting right in the locker room, not digging Kawhi Leonard's trips from San Diego to the facility, not digging Paul George's mentality, Montrezl Harrell kind of being a heel for the most part. He probably should. He was part of a really plucky Los Angeles Clippers team a season before, which pushed the Warriors to six games. They just weren't getting along. And so that is something that doesn't seem to be happening with the Brooklyn Nets. But. The lack of continuity did not help the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Brooklyn Nets are in danger of doing this because they have played with their big three a total of seven games together. And look, and this this is why I want to be perfectly clear too, the seven games in which we have seen with the big three have been unreal. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant on the floor this year, a plus 13.1 net rating. Um, Their small ball lineup with Jeff Green looked the bleep out plus 26.7 per 100 possessions, an offensive rating of 136.4, a defensive rating, defensive rating of 109.7. I'm going to say that again for those in the back. Their small ball lineup with Jeff Green at center, 109.7 defensive rating. The potential for this team is absolutely mind-boggling. But it's just that. It's potential. Because all these numbers, while they sound absolutely incredible, We're talking about, according to Cleaning the Glass, a span of 383 possessions played together. That's not a lot. That's an insanely small sample size where we could have some pretty off numbers. Again, being really open to that. So while I think this Clippers, excuse me, Freudian slip, while I think this Nets team, I picked them before the season started to represent the Eastern Conference of the NBA Finals, they are still ever so slightly, my selection to do so, I am assuming health, even though Kevin Durant's now out again. So assuming health, they are still my team because I still think that the potential is there for this Brooklyn Nets team. But at some point, you start to worry, and I don't question anybody who has some trepidation about what this team could potentially be. But it ties in perfectly to what I think is somewhat ironic in that as the league all around suffers injuries thanks to a really compact schedule, Trey Young gets hurt yesterday by twisting his ankle, falling on it, spraining on it. Spraining it, I should say. Donovan Mitchell, eerily similar situation with him and his ankle injury. LeBron James, very similar ankle injury himself when he took on the Atlanta Hawks. Anthony Davis finally comes back tonight against the Dallas Mavericks, but he's been out for 30 games. 
Jamal Murray is done for the year, just underwent successful surgery either yesterday or early today. Put up on his Instagram page, right? We can go around the entire league and look at all these teams and see how much they are ailing and banged up. And it's somewhat ironic that out of all of these teams, the Los Angeles Clippers are the one that actually might have the most continuity going for them. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have already surpassed the total amount of possessions they played together last year. Kawhi Leonard, despite what you might see on social media, has actually played in back-to-backs this season. When him and Paul George are on the floor together, a plus 17.1 net rating for the Los Angeles Clippers. They are, since the All-Star break, the best team in the NBA record-wise. They are the best offense in terms of efficiency. They are back inside the top seven in terms of defensive efficiency. Remember, first half of the year we talked about this, right? Kind of like the New York Knicks. Los Angeles Clippers were a team that were actually third in tightly contested shots but 26th in terms of opponents shooting on those tightly contested shots. In other words, they were getting to their spots. They just kept falling. That started to regress Started to regress to the mean, and this defense has started to show up in a big way. And the depth is actually kind of panning out. Serge Ibaka's missed a god amount of games. I don't even know how many at this point now. Patrick Beverly, he's missing time because he's got this hand injury, and he's going to be really evaluated now in about three and a half weeks. But the positive here, as we talk about injuries all around the league, is that the Los Angeles Clippers – have had more continuity with their two key guys as opposed to all of these other teams around the league. And it's somewhat ironic that it might work out for them. And I'm ready. The Clippers, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm committing. Right, I made the joke with humans the other day. I'm a man of commitment. I have a wife. I have a child. The Clippers are my team to win the Western Conference. And look, I know in the, in the preseason guide, I picked the Los Angeles Lakers. Fell into the trap. Yes, I did. They deserve crap for that. But the reason why I picked the Clippers, too, there's a betting angle, obviously, of course, to this. Westgate has 8-1 to one on the Los Angeles Clippers to win the NBA Finals. 11.1% implied probability. It should be higher. This is a good Clippers team. And a price like that is very much worth investing in. Give me the Clips, baby. Clips ain't going to clip this year. Don't worry. We'll play this back when the Clippers eventually flame out in the first round or whatever it is. But no, in all seriousness, I do legitimately believe this. And, and really quickly, as we look in the grand scheme of things, right? The Utah Jazz. Royce O'Neal, the best wing defender to take on Kawhi Leonard. That's a mismatch. They're 2-0 in a small sample size against the Phoenix Suns, but they have played very well against Phoenix. Think it's a bad matchup for Phoenix in that regard. They're 4-2 against the Los Angeles Lakers in the last two seasons. I mean, come on. That's the Clippers fan inside me talking. I get it. One of those was the current version of the Lakers. I don't care. But still, I do think they match up well with the Los Angeles Lakers, right, given the fact that they can shoot the ball and the Lakers can't, even when LeBron James and Anthony Davis come back. And then the Denver Nuggets obviously lost a very big piece in their backcourt, and Facundo Campazzo, who is four foot nothing, is getting a lot of minutes at point guard, and that's going to be a little bit of a mismatch at times in a lot of these areas. So regardless, let's get to Tom Byrne. Tom's going to join us. We have a lot to get to with Tom. It's going to be absolutely incredible conversation. And remember, please, like, rate, review, subscribe. Could really use it. Could really use the feedback. Very much enjoy all the good and positive thoughts we have gotten. Really working on an identity for the show. So we always appreciate you joining us here on Hardwood Handicappers. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. Interact with the show on Twitter at me, JVT, at Roach underscore 97, and at VSIN Live. All right, welcoming in on the podcast, Tom Byrne, nice enough to give us a little bit of time, Series XM NBA, Mad Dog Sports Radio as well. Awesome NBA handicapper. Get to get into the minutia of the NBA betting market, what we've seen lately. What's up, bud? JVT, I'm doing well. How you feeling? Good luck with this new podcast. It's off to a good start, I'd say. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, I, you know you're obviously in broadcasting, and uh, I majored in broadcasting coming up, so I am a little bit of a broadcasting nerd. I think we are kind of struggling a little bit to find the identity, but that's going to be early, you know, in the first couple of episodes. And podcasting is such a weird medium, you know, like – it's kind of odd knowing I'm not talking to anybody within the moment that they're going to listen to it a little bit later, you know? Oh, I completely agree. I've, I've found over the years I am much more comfortable for whatever reason once that light goes off. Yeah. You know, it's like you're in your zone. Athletes know what I'm talking about, too, because they're much better once they're, you know, actually playing the game on the floor. They don't like everything, you know, having to do with answering questions and all that stuff. When it comes to just doing the show, once that light goes on, it becomes natural for you. But to your point, with the podcast, it's totally different because we're accustomed to doing a radio show one way. you got to rehash the big topics. It's like doing the same show a couple different times, only wording it differently. Podcasting is totally different, though. You don't repeat anything. So that makes it, in a way, trickier and harder to carry a show, I imagine. Yeah, no, it's weird. And, you know, it's funny, too, is when, when, you, when I'm live, at least personally, I never find myself when it comes to like introing things, going in and out of segments, like it's actually relatively smooth. But when I know I'm recording and I know there's that room for error, I will mess up so many times and like re-record and be like, ah, I don't like that intro. I don't like <laughs> I, people don't want to listen to that. It's kind of an inside baseball kind of thing. But the, yeah, p- podcasting, we have gotten some positive reviews. So I do appreciate that. So uh, let's dive in. So main topic for the podcast today, Tom, as we opened it up and how could it not be uh, the New York freaking Knicks uh, have been absolutely yeah. incredible uh, for now. Eighth consecutive win, eleventh consecutive cover, which in our realm is obviously much more important. So there, I think there's a lot to get to here. There's a lot of different angles and a lot of different branches spreading out from this thing. But here's where I wanted to start. 
because over this stretch of basketball that the Knicks have been playing, the thing that has amazed me the most, they are averaging 117.8 points per 100 possessions offensively. Their three-point shooting has been incredible. Now, I don't think that's sustainable, but where did this offensive surge come from? No idea. I know you look at cleaning the glass numbers, too, so let's just get right to it. Last two weeks, New York 8-0, second in the league offensively. I mean, nobody saw this coming. The spread differential is a plus nine. I've been on them quite a bit. I have not been the last two nights, although I did go a little smaller last night, but you get the idea. I should just be riding the team. We all should, because if they could get buckets, I don't know how they're not covering every time out. We know they're going to defend. They're a gritty team, you know, scrape away the garbage time to 108.2 per 100 defensively. This year, that's an excellent number. But they had struggled offensively. It was like pulling teeth. To your point, now all of a sudden, they're the 20, <laughs> I wouldn't go this far, but they look like the 2017 Golden State Warriors offensively, right? So it really is a great story. We don't typically celebrate teams that are somewhere in the middle, and New York at the end of the day is probably still closer to the middle than the top. And that's the hardest leap to make, getting from the middle to the top. But the fact that the New York Knicks are finally relevant is a major, major story for the league and a big deal. Yeah, and look, I'm a crappy millennial. I always like to make fun of, you know, Knicks fans because everybody keeps talking about the garden, how everybody wants to go there, even though they're batting like zero right now in terms of attracting stars. Like, this might be it, right? Like, this might be the turn to actually get people to get attracted to going back to play at Madison Square Garden. I, you know, basketball, I'm always kind of facetious with that. I understand that basketball players enjoy playing at MSG. Obviously, Zion Williamson couldn't stop gushing about it the other day. Uh, but what this streak does, even if they get swept in the first round, what it does, big picture for New York, uh, has been absolutely incredible. So, so let's talk about this team overall and the pieces that we have seen. I want to get to Julius Randle in a little bit. He's obviously the main cog here. But what, what I've been impressed by, and yesterday both of these guys showed up in different ways, Derek Rose has been absolutely awesome during this winning streak, about 15 points per game. Reggie Bullock has been absolutely insane with his three-point shooting. So while we talk a lot about Julius Randle and what this team has done, Tom, like the role players have been great. And you look at quickly too. quickly has been absolutely incredible. Yeah, quickly he's a heck of an offensive player. Defensively, he's got a ways to go, but they can hide him in that Tom Thibodeau defensive scheme. And listen, Tibbs deserves an awful lot of credit, too. Yep. I mean, you're 100% right about these role players. Alec Burks, who hasn't been around the last couple games, has played well. He's getting buckets. You know, the role guys have really stepped up. Julius Randle's getting all the shine he should. He's a legit top 15 at worst 20 player in the world right now. But, like, somebody, R.J. Barrett even. Yep. You know, somebody like Mitchell Robinson. You know, Mitchell Robinson is out now, and that's going to hurt them because he's an excellent defensive piece for them. They were showing growth, all the role players, but more importantly, the younger guys. R.J. Barrett's ascension in year two has gone underreported, and that's hard to believe because he is a New York Nick, and it's all about Julius Randle. It's all about Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose and whether or not he can attract free agents. And to your point, this is going to help, plus the idea that he's got World Wide West there, and they're going to get some free agents eventually, especially if there are positive vibes around the garden, which there finally are. But the development of R.J. Barrett might be most important. He was kind of written off after a lousy, relatively speaking, rookie year. In year two, he looks every bit what we thought he might be when they took him in the draft as high as they did, yet we're not hearing much about it. Yep. No, I would agree. And look, and the the statistical jumps are kind of marginal, but they're there. And I think more it's more about watching R.J. Barrett with your eyes, right? Like the way that he could finish some yeah. of the shots that he's making from three-point range. He had one against the uh, the Hawks yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, by the way, where he was in the corner, like falling away, and he hit it clean. Like there was no worry about it whatsoever. Like those are the kind of things where you see with your eyes where the improvement for R.J. Barrett's been great. And his shooting, you know, and the numbers are there, right? 32% three-point shooter last year, according to cleaning the glass, up to 39% this year. Corner threes, 38% last year, up to 43%. So there are, they have been statistical jumps here for R.J. Barrett. Let me ask you this. You touched on Thibodeau. He's still 11-1 to to win coach of the year, right? We have all these conversations about MVP and, like, being in the conversation. Tibbs is right. clearly in the conversation. But, like, 11-1, to that seems like a really high number. I get, like, I get Monty Williams. I get Quinn Snyder. But, like, he, the thing that Thibodeau has in his back pocket, Tom, that I think nobody else has, he plays for New York. And people are going gaga over the storyline that the Knicks are back. Yeah, no doubt. Let me circle back to the R.J. Barrett discussion, too. Mm-hmm. I think you hit on a key point. Listen, I know some of the advanced numbers on R.J. Barrett, like, for example, the estimated plus-minus number doesn't look great. He's a minus 1.5. He's about 0.8 to the negative offensively and 0.7 defensively. But in this case, I'm willing to shove those numbers aside to an extent because of his age. He's so darn young, considering where he was a year ago. Like, for example, he's now shooting 39% from three. 
Like, that is a big deal for somebody like R.J. Barrett moving forward. He'll get that effective field goal percentage up. He'll get that true shooter percentage up. I really think he's going to start to help them down the line. Again, 100%, we all love the stats, especially as sports betters. But at the same time, you can never become a slave to the stat sheet mm-hmm. when you're trying to project forward. R.J. Barrett has shown a lot of improvement. Now, to Tom Thibodeau, the one thing I don't love about Tibbs this year, now, it wasn't the case against Charlotte when they didn't cover in the first half and ended up covering for the game. If they've gotten out-adjusted all year, you'd be better off playing first half. I'd imagine if you looked at the numbers, I didn't crunch them. First half, Knicks numbers, then second half. Overall, you'd be pretty darn wealthy because they've been covering a lot of spreads, but you get the idea. That said, of course, he's played a major role. I think he's the perfect coach to build teams up from the bottom because he establishes a work ethic, a certain culture. You are going to be held accountable without question. The only question I have about Tibbs, JVT, is the idea that by the time this team truly is ready to compete and a couple free agents come in, that his message will have worn thin. Mm-hmm. And Leon Rose won't care about that. He'll just find a coach who can finish the job. But I-, I could see that happening down the line. Everybody loves Tibbs for putting them up. Eventually, you know, the players, they start to feel themselves a little bit. They're turning, you know, a blind eye at what they're seeing from the coach in the film session on a daily basis. And next thing you know, they're not listening at all, and he could be out. But that's not to hear for there here nor there for this discussion. I still think it's going to be Quinn Snyder, number one, Monty Williams, two, and then Tibbs, three. I don't study the futures market as close as I do the against the spread market, so I can't speak to the way the numbers have fluctuated, but I am a little surprised that it's sitting at 11-1 to 1 in some shots. No, dude, like two weeks ago, he was 20-1. to 1. Like, still, even before this winning streak, like, it, it's pretty nuts. Wow. Like, the, yeah, the market just didn't really want to budge on them. And I think, you know, a big part of it is the success of the Suns and the Jazz. And uh, I think there is going to be weighing heavily in favor of either one of those two teams. The, the competition for the top overall seed in the Western Conference, I, you know, I, and awards are different than actual, like, futures markets, right? Like, finding value in a futures market to win sure. a title is, is not the same as finding value in the awards market because there's a human element of voters, and, you know, it's not the exact right. same. But it, it has been incredible to see him at double digits. And, by the way, to your point, uh, first half net rating for the New York Knicks, plus 4.5. Second half net rating, negative 1.1. Kind of speaking to the second half adjustments uh, that Tibbs has kind of struggled to do. And, hey, let, let's be honest, too. Overall, this run has been great. Tom, but for the most, like we go back to yesterday, for example, I bet them in game at like three to one against the Hawks. The second Trey Young goes down, the Hawks were up not comfortably, but they were in control of that game until Trey Young goes down. It doesn't dilute the entire run, but we also can look at it with nuance and realize why this run continued yesterday. 100%. I'm glad you did because I missed the alert, so I did not get in. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is Atlanta was looking like the right side, and then they got a little break. But the Knicks aren't going to feel badly for anybody, right, because they've had their issues, obviously. They've been banged up, too. You know, I think you made an excellent point a minute ago about the voters in terms of these awards. Because and you could go back all the way to the 70s. Like, 75, for example, Bob McAdoo won the NBA MVP. We all know Rick Barry should have been the NBA MVP. But players voted back then, and nobody liked Rick Barry. Now players complain about the media. The media, just like the players, have biases as well. Like, one of the reasons I never agree with your James Harden for MVP run, although he was making a hell of a run, to your point, is not that you were wrong necessarily. It's that the voters were never going to vote for him. Like, I could tell you without question, somebody I work with, Justin Termini, who does NBA Today, was never. He could put up Wilt numbers, 50 and 25, and JT was never going to vote. For James Harden. And it's funny because Harden is the guy who told us a couple of years ago that biases and narrative play a role in the MVP process. And while I thought he should have been runner-up to Giannis that year, I agreed 100% with what he's saying. Of course. And that's why, you know, you could argue the awards and the market for those set awards is a little bit more lucrative if you have an inside track to the way some of these voters think. Yep. No, 100%. Like, and when I, when I say that value is not the same for those that are listening, you know, when I find value in a futures market, for example, there's some shops that have the Philadelphia 76ers at the third choice in the Eastern Conference in the range of like five mm-hmm. to one. There are statistics that you can bank on playing out over a larger sample size like in a series, something like that, that eventually you would think would play into your favor when you're finding value in the awards market. Like I keep seeing a lot of, hey, you know, I'm putting a little smattering of Steph Curry on 100 to one. You know what? Like, I'm totally in the camp of Steph Curry deserving more credit in terms of an MVP run, but in no, like in no universe is Steph Curry going to win the MVP because we have history and we know how these voters vote. You know what I mean? Yep, 100%. You know what? I know this is your podcast, JVT, but I'm going to ask you a question that I'm curious of because I don't get 
to get in the weeds like this on Mad Dog Sports Radio and certainly not on NBA Radio. I mean, we could to an extent on Mad Dog, especially around football season, but the NBA markets aren't on M- on. NBA radio, there might be some interest, but, you know, we just kind of stay away from that. Mad Dog, we're not quite there yet. I find it interesting that I'm hearing left and right that you can't bet on the NBA until 6 o'clock. And I, we love Josh Abelbaum. I love that book he wrote, and he's 100% right about some of the theories. I know a lot of people try to poo-poo reading the market. No, 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 no. There's a lot of truth. You can do that. But at the same time, you don't have to wait around till 6 o'clock. Like, I don't know about you, and I imagine you are, but you're more well-rounded in your betting. There's just not enough hours in the day for me to bet everything. So I'm just an NBA market guy right now, now that college basketball's over. I'm trying to snag numbers the night before. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, last night, after the show wraps up, it's 2 Eastern time on the East Coast, I look, and they hang a 7 next to Boston. I'm thinking, why a 7? So you do a little research, you figure out, all right, Tatum's questionable, Brown's questionable, or in this, in this uh, case, I think he was actually doubtful, but Smart was questionable. They had a lot of guys, but still, seven's way too high. And if you know some books, because all books have their advantages, like one of your sponsors, BetMGM, you can online put in bets and get out of those set bets for no penalty as long as the number didn't go the wrong way. I find myself nagging a lot of good numbers each and every night. Now, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Two nights ago, I woke up, the line went in my favor, six of the seven games, and I had a six of one night. Last night, not as... Not as good. You know, I did get the Boston number. I took Philly at six. That was an awful, awful decision because now it's at eight. Although I do think you're going to see Ben Simmons play. I could be wrong about that. Maybe even Tobias Harris. So I think eventually that number is not going to be a bad one. But you get the idea. I took Charlotte three. It's down to one now. I don't get this idea that you're a fool if you bet on the NBA early. You have to know which books to go to. Just like you can profit from the day of announcements. Everybody gets annoyed. Well, Kevin Durant was just announced. Well, that's great to me because it's less than 24 hours out. So I know certain books. Fox Bet's going to be a little slower than some other books. Bet MGM's going to be a little slower than some other books. Hopefully they don't hear this. They'll be a little faster now. But you got the idea. Mm-hmm. You could get in there, right, and get the number before it moves. Now you're getting three, four points worth of value. I think people are completely missing the point. They wait until the last minute. Well, now you're not getting any CLV. I think if you really, and you do have to study these markets, and you have to, you know, pay for a site or two that's going to give you some of the better percentages and everything else and let you know where the market stands throughout the day, you're going to have to have that screen open and the phone by you. But I think you can still snag a lot of great numbers, even in this injury-riddled NBA. No, I, I would completely agree. And I think part of it, uh, is when it comes to just the overall narrative with the NBA, Tom, and it's one of the things that has been really grinding my gears over the last few weeks, uh, the consistent bitching about what's been going on with the injuries, and, of course, completely ignoring the fact that the reason why we're seeing all of this in terms of the injury reports is the compact schedule and the nature of this year, uh, as opposed to just the players whining and complaining because they have a hangnail and they can't play tonight. So I think that probably right. plays into it. Uh, but I completely agree with you. And one of my biggest weapons has been in terms of betting some of the overnights, because I'm with you. I, I will bet overnights, and I'll feel comfortable doing it for the most part. And like you said, some nights it's going to work out, some nights it's not. But I don't know how many people, like, consistently will actually watch press conferences after games, will listen to coaches, talk to the media, things like that. Right. You know how many nuggets you'll get? in terms of guys playing or guys not, you know, there's been great examples of like, in, especially with the Nets, you know, Steve Nash coming out and be like, ah, you know, I don't really like the way his hamstring's feeling, but we'll see uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. I wouldn't really bank on it. And yet the number still hangs up and you're like, well, I know this guy's not going to play. So I think that's also part of it. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of like diligence in sifting through a lot of these press conferences and quotes and media right. obligations. Uh, and I just don't know if people really want to do that. See, I have the perfect job for it because that's yep. part of my, responsibility is to play these press conferences after the game on the NBA radio postgame show. So I know not every guy has got to wake up at 5 in the morning to be able to stay up on the East Coast at 2 a.m. listening to the press conferences, you know, checking out his betting screen every two minutes. But, you know, if you're in an advocated position and you can afford to do that, you're going to be in a lucrative position before too long. I mean, to your point, a lot of these books are awfully slow to adjust to some of this news overnight. Whereas some of this news comes out right now, you've got maybe 60 seconds. 60 mm-hmm. seconds most to get that thumb, you know, read <laughs> properly or get your code in and get to that number and try to beat them taking it down, but not overnight. I mean, I've had many instances where I thought, oh, my God, this was 15 minutes ago. There's no way I'm going to get the number now. I'll go in, and it's still hanging there. And I almost have to, like, wait and check again and think, why haven't they moved this number? 
they're awfully slow sometimes to adjust to your point to some of the news coming out of these conferences. I definitely think you could take advantage. I definitely think you should shop around. You have to know which books you know, are going to move numbers quicker, which books are going to let you out with less penalty in case the lines go south on you. You know, I mean, these are all things you got to do. If you're like me, you stay away from DraftKings. I know that's ludicrous. I never win when I draft, when I bet with you guys, JBT. It's amazing. Every other book I'm up, I can't do anything there. <laughs> not that us, not that us sports bettors are uh, superstitious, right? But no, I'm kidding. You get the idea. You have to, you know, invest a lot of time. But at the same time, if you do it, you could be in a profitable situation. Yep, 100%. Tom Byrne with us again, SiriusXM NBA. Uh, does a lot of work for uh, Mad Dog Sports Radio as well. So, all right, let's get into a couple of other teams uh, in specific angles here. Uh, and I want to get your thoughts on some big picture stuff. Last thing on the New York Knicks really quickly. So I was watching that game against the Hawks. Again, we kind of mentioned, right, Trey Young goes down. Hawks are up by 7 or 8, I think, at the point where Trey goes down. And they eventually, the Knicks do win in overtime. So as I was watching them, Tom, you know, I was thinking, you know what? This is a really cool story. It's great that the Knicks are back. That's a potential 4-5 matchup that we're looking at between Atlanta and New York. I like Atlanta yeah. a lot in a series like that. You know, like as great as New York has been, I just don't know what the sticking power is in terms of winning a playoff series, making it to an Eastern Conference semifinals. What do you think? Very interesting. I'm looking at my power ratings right now to see what I put that number at. But my initial thought is that Atlanta would have to be healthy, right? They've been yep. beat up all year. Obviously, if Trey Young has a bad injury, I'm sure you would take that back. But considering that we think he'd be available, yeah, I, too, have Atlanta power rated a little better than New York. Not by much. I mean, 1.7 to the positive to 1.1, roughly. So you do the math, 0.6 separate into two. But I would probably give a little love Atlanta's way. I mean, they've been an entirely different team, JVT, since Nate McMillan took over. I know it's a little tricky to give Nate McMillan too much credit because his postseason record's atrocious. But he's never had a really talented team in those postseason settings either. And I think since his Indiana days, he has done an outstanding job. He should have been coach of the year a few years back. He was like fifth in line, which was a disgrace. Mm -hmm. You know, he takes over for Lloyd Pierce. All they do is win. If they were the Knicks, that's all we talk about 24-7, 365. Because like New York, Atlanta's been a dumpster fire too. And their every bit has improved with a lot more injuries. So... Yeah, I'm going to probably lean your direction and say Atlanta. That'd be an interesting series. It would get a decent rating, too, because it's the Knicks. I don't think either team would have a chance to win the second round, but you're probably looking at seven games. Yeah, no, that would be a hell of a series. And watching that game yesterday, I was actually getting excited. I was like, man, I hope this actually it pans yeah. out because that would be the 4-5 or five matchup as it ends up uh, right now. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you about one of my biggest annoyances at this point right now. And it's not really an annoyance. Uh, yeah, I get asked all the time when I do my hits on VEASAN about – the Milwaukee Bucks, right? And there's the right. thought that the Milwaukee Bucks are slept on for some, you know, for whatever reason that we can talk about, whether it's postseason failings. My issue, Tom, with the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'm actually going to steal kind of a phrasing that you used with Miami Heat the last time I got to talk to you uh, about basketball, which was, I'm tired of hearing about the Bucks trying things out on defense. I'm tired mm. of hearing that, hey, we're experimenting with things for the postseason. This is the third consecutive year that you are either middle of the pack or bottom 20s in perimeter defense, whether it is above the break three-point shooting defensively, whether it's overall three-point shooting, whether it's corner three-point shooting, this perimeter defense continues to struggle. It is putting up abhorrent numbers. Like, why am I supposed to buy into Milwaukee, and why am I supposed to buy into the narrative that they're trying things on defense when statistically and what we're seeing for the most part is largely what we have seen hold this team back over the last few years? Yeah, their defense is worse. Last year, at least right. overall, despite some deficiencies on the perimeter, they were number one, even in front of Nick Nurse in Toronto, and he got all the love. This year, they're 10th cleaning the glass. But to your point, I see what you're saying. I understand the other side to an extent. I think what people are trying to say, and they're overanalyzing to an extent, is that Coach Bud needs to make adjustments, right? So they look and they see Eric Spolstra going to the zone defense last year in the bubble, and it works. And then they look at Milwaukee, and they don't have any answers because once you can penetrate – and you get them rotating, you have them on your heels. And so Bud, if he's getting beat up, can't say, all right, let's switch it up, go to a new look, because he never switches up his looks in the regular season, right? So he always asks them to do one thing. So I think a lot of people, because of that reason, give him credit. But to your point, what does it matter if they are asked to switch up and they still stink defensively? Like, that's great. They have a different look defensively, but the results are the same. And so I get that people say, well, they're worse defensively because they're trying new looks, but they haven't been any good when they've gone to the new looks. And so, therefore, to your point, they're definitely a lesser defensive team. They're definitely a lesser overall team. 
I get the impression I like them a little bit more than you do. Like, I definitely think they're in contender status. I put them behind Brooklyn. You know, right now I think Utah, the Clippers, and Phoenix are probably going to be in front of them. And my power ratings anyway, I'm looking right now, they certainly are. I do have Milwaukee in front of Denver and Philadelphia, but I think that's arguable, and I think Philadelphia would have a chance because they'd be home. If there's one team that needs home court advantage more than the next in the East and could benefit from home court advantage, it's Philadelphia. Ever since Mm -hmm. Embiid entered the lineup, Philadelphia not only wins at home often, but they win against the spread at home often. I think it's a big deal for Philly, even if they're only a third of the seats filled. So I think... I, I think Milwaukee, and I, I should note my, my tone is very dismissive of Milwaukee. They're a good team. And obviously Giannis Antetokounmpo right. is one of the best players in the NBA. But I also think they're a team, Tom, that is dependent on the bracket falling correctly for them, much like they were last year, and it didn't fall correctly for them because they drew a nightmare right. in the Miami Heat and they lost in the second round. I think that nightmare for them this year, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but from a matchup perspective, I don't think they want any part of Boston in the first round. I think Boston would be a complete mm. late night, complete late nightmare for them. They've covered all three games. They split a two-game set in, what, about like a month ago or so. But I just think the yep. perimeter-oriented nature of Boston, how often they shoot threes now, they're, depend- they're a little dependent on the three-point shot, but they're guard-oriented, perimeter-oriented. If they're fully healthy, which is always a caveat with a lot of these teams now at this point of the season, but if, if – Push comes to shove and both teams are healthy. I just don't think they want a perimeter-oriented team like Boston. I think Brooklyn, again, fully healthy, would be a very big nightmare for them too. Just these teams that can spread you out and shoot the ball extremely well, I don't think they want any part of them. Yeah, 100%. It's a good point. Listen, I'm not sure Philadelphia should want any part of Boston. I've been down there in South Philly twice over the last three years watching the Celtics knock out the Sixers. Well, that's not true once because the other time is in the bubble, but you get the idea. Yeah. I've seen this Boston team have a lot of success against Philadelphia come playoff time. Now, this time around, I think it would be entirely different because they just don't have an answer for Joel Embiid. So I believe the Sixers would win. And I know you're going to point to the fact they went undefeated against Boston. But if you remember, they were undefeated against Boston last year in the regular season, too, and ended up getting swept, albeit without Ben Simmons in the four-game postseason series. But I'm with you. Milwaukee, you know, they've had their issues against Boston. We know Tatum is a tough shot maker on the perimeter. Jalen Brown does much of his damage out there. Kemba hasn't had a great year relative to expectation, but he could certainly get hot from the perimeter, and that's where Milwaukee has some issues. And, you know, taking the larger look at the picture, that's why the East is so fascinating, because we all know three teams have distinguished themselves, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia at the top, obviously. But you can't completely rule out Boston or Miami. Miami, I thought, was overvalued coming into the year. turned out to be right there. But it doesn't mean I think they're going to get swept in the first round. Like Jimmy Butler, when he's in the lineup, has had a great year. Tyler Hero was never going to be the top 50 player like ESPN wanted to jam down our throats. That was embarrassing. Have a clue. Uh, but he is a decent role player. Duncan Robinson's a good role player. Bam Adebayo hasn't taken that leap forward, but he could still play. I don't know if you'd want to get Miami in the first round. I don't think you'd want to get Boston. A lot of it depends on who they match up with. But there are two teams that could definitely make a first-round series much longer than a typical 2-7 or even a 3-6-1-8 might be, depending upon where they land. Yeah, and Miami, the, I think the infuriating thing with Miami, you know, right before they went on that 11-1 run through those 12 games, uh, I had bet on them at 15-1 to win the Eastern Conference because I thought, you know, hey, this team's set to make a run. And then they did for 12 games, but then they came crashing back down to earth because for some reason, unlike last year where they were a top-three shooting team, they can't shoot worth crap. And their defense has been consistently awesome, but the offense has been absolutely nowhere to be seen. And they're trying to patch it together yeah. with acquiring, like, Trevor Ariza's and Nemanja Bjelic's, right. but it's really not working out because it's amazing time. They miss Jay Crowder. Like, uh, Jay Crowder's a solid player, yep. but they miss a Jay Crowder. Yeah, it's a good point. To your point, the 23rd offensively. It's pulling yep. teeth on a nightly basis. Jimmy Butler's more of a grinder. He's not necessarily a scorer. I mean, you remember him in Philadelphia. He didn't even want to shoot the ball. I, I couldn't believe, because I got a good look at him at a nightly basis, I couldn't believe how passive he was. He wants to be a facilitator offensively. And sometimes they need to be more of a scorer. He tries to find a balance. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, it is a make or miss league to a great extent, but they're awfully reliant on the Tyler Heroes and Duncan Robinsons that big shooting nights. And that is absolutely going to hurt them is the fact they don't score. But they're going to grind it out. You know what they're going to do. They're going to make it Pat Riley, New York Knicks type of basketball, and they're going to try to slow it down, play in the half court in the postseason. But to your point, yeah, I don't have Miami going anywhere. I'm not shocked that they're close to mediocre. I know everybody wanted to call them a team that was going to be at the top for a long time. They're still a piece away, and mm-hmm. that piece is not Victor Oladipo. Yeah, and it's not coming this year. So, all right. 
Tom right. Burns with us. You're a very busy man. Don't want to take a lot of your time. I want two more teams to throw at you uh, before we get you out of here. And we'll stay in the Eastern Conference, and then we'll go to the Western Conference. Uh, but really quickly, and these two teams actually tie together, the Brooklyn Nets. Seven games together with the big three. I wrote about this the other day on vcid.com, Tom, where the Brooklyn Nets are in danger of becoming this year's Los Angeles Clippers. And the Clippers last year had a lot of issues in terms of the locker room, right? You know, they had the great piece from the Athletic, Yovan Buha wrote it about the issues with Kawhi Leonard, the star treatment, mantras, all those things. The, the Nets, for, for the most part, don't seem to have that. We don't seem to see much of that coming out yet. But they haven't really played together. And I, I'm in danger of doing this too, right? I assume, because we have seen seven games of awesome offense from this team, that when everybody's healthy, if they are fully healthy, that it's going to work out. But James Harden gets a setback with a hamstring. Steve Nash kind of kind of fire and brimstone brooding with that. You know, we'll see when he comes back. Could be the postseason, could be a little bit sooner. So we don't know what's going to happen with James Harden. But it, do you think that assessment's correct? Because continuity is worth something. And these guys are really talented. But at some point, yep. you got to play together. And if, now you have Nick Claxton in the health and safety protocol. Like, I, I, the confidence is there with me. But it's waning just because we haven't seen these guys on the floor. And we have such a fresh example of a team doing this exact same thing a year ago with the Clippers. Yeah, 100%. It's funny. In fact, I'm preparing for the NBA radio postgame show with the games on the big screen, you know, sweating out some of the bets. And I think, all right, let me throw on Visa. And I use the account that you sent me, and I appreciate that. And you're on. And I heard you say this exact same thing to Tim Murray on Nightcap, and I agree 100%. In fact, I use it on the show. I think it's an excellent comparison to the L.A. Clippers. While Brooklyn this year has a higher ceiling than that Clipper team did a year ago, which is saying something, they, too, have zero clue what their role is going to be in the postseason. Like, James Harden has already told us he thinks he's the MVP. James Harden's going to have to be the third option on some nights because Kevin Durant's going to be option one, we think. Kyrie Irving won't let himself, that's who he is, won't let himself be anything less than option two. Is James Harden going to be all right with that? Is he going to be comfortable in a role like that? If Kyrie isn't the facilitator and James Harden's getting all the shine, is he going to mope, you know, on the side, or is he going to continue to play ball and defend to do what he's got to do, do the little things? You know, I'm not worried with Kevin Durant as much unless, God forbid, somebody get on his case on Twitter. Then he'll be distracted. But I'm with you 100%. I mean, we don't know what to expect. They need time to get acclimated with each other, to understand what their roles are going to be, to know where each other are going to be in big spots. And until we see that, we can't be 100% sure. Now, we all know they have one of the highest ceilings offensively in the history of the sport. Defensively against better teams, they have shown some signs. But I don't think this is the case. Like, a couple of years ago with Golden State, we all knew, bar an injury, they were going to win a championship year after year with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Despite the talent in this Brooklyn roster, I don't look at the Eastern Conference that way. I absolutely think Philadelphia could beat them mm-hmm. if they have home court advantage. And I absolutely think Milwaukee could beat them. They're the two. I wouldn't predict they do, but they can. And that's not always the case in the NBA when one team has this sort of talent. And it's a perfect tie-in to the other thing. And I, this was in the new, I wrote this in the New York Post this week, Tom. It's part of Point Spread Weekly, our weekly magazine. Selfish plug. Go check them all out. Beeson.com slash subscribe. I think it's ironic that the Brooklyn Nets are emulating the Los Angeles Clippers from last year and the Los Angeles Clippers this year in the second half of basketball have been the best team in the NBA, one of the best net ratings, the best offense right. statistically. They're the best three-point shooting team. And the thing that has worked for them, now Kyra, excuse me, uh, Kawhi's going to miss a week with foot soreness. They're going to reevaluate him. But the thing that has worked for them is while they have been injured just like all these other teams, the key difference for me is the fact that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have actually played together. They've already matched the amount of possessions they played together from a season ago. Their injuries are to their ancillary pieces. It's to Serge Ibaka. It's to Patrick Beverly. It's to Reggie Jackson. But these two guys have actually played together, got a plus 17.2 net rating. We're on the floor. They are 8-1 to one at the Westgate. Superbook Sports also for those in those, those jurisdictions, if they want about it, to win the NBA Finals. And I'm in. I, I'm, I'm ready to get hurt again, Tom. The Clippers, I have been kind of wishy-washy on who I think is going to win the Western Conference. I'm in. It's the Clippers. Well, I could definitely build that argument. I'm a little annoyed at them myself because they <laughs> killed me last night. I met this plus five. Oh, yeah. And somehow they can't even cover that. Night before... I had a chance that I had the Blazers, in fact, plus eight. I talked to my plus seven. I talked myself out of it because of everything you said about the Clippers. And, of course, that's the one they don't end up covering, so I should have kept my ticket. But outside of being annoyed at them, I agree with you 100%. And they deserve more credit. I saw them up close and personal when they were in Philadelphia Friday night, shorthanded. They were down 20-3 to early, fall all the way back, almost won the game. You could tell they are 
definitely a different team this year. JVT, last year they didn't like each other. Okay, I've heard many reports from people inside who told me they just didn't like each other. This year that's not the case. Paul George is now very much so appreciated in that locker room. Not the case a year ago. They even were looking at Kawhi sideways as he's flying in on a private jet yep. from San Diego. This year, they're cool with Kawhi. The role players are gaining a ton of confidence. Even Terrence Mann, my goodness, how good has he looked? You know, Morris has been great. Uh, Ivaka Zubac in the middle has done his job. This team is competing. You know, they bring in Rondo. I'm not a Rondo guy at all. The on-off numbers hate Rondo. That's a part of it. You know, he's not a guy that extend the floor. But in the postseason, you know, having Rondo when the game gets a little slowed down, the pace is slower. It's not necessarily a bad thing either in spots. You know, Ty Lue has been through this before. I could definitely see the Clippers coming out of the West. I'm interested in this Western playoffs like you wouldn't believe because nope. my model is so high on Utah that I'm, I'm almost going to have to predict they win it. But I won't be a slave to the stat sheet, so it's definitely not a lock. But it's just strange to me to see a team like Utah, JVT, is highly power-rated in some respected models the way they are, but a lot of us keep pointing to the Lakers because we trust them with LeBron and AD. Yep. Pointing to the Clippers because of everything you said, finally getting it together, still have all the town in the world, will be in theory rested come the postseason despite winning left and right. Phoenix, they're another team my model really likes, but they're still a good five points behind Utah. Is this the year a team – that does not have a top five to ten player in the world, and at the end of the day, that's why nobody trusts them. Is this the year that team wins the chip? The only other year that's ever happened was the Larry Brown coach Detroit Pistons in two thousand and four. No, and to be honest, too, with Utah, I completely understand everything. They're a statistical marvel. Uh, they are playing basketball in 2021 like every single team should be, shooting well over 40% right. in terms of their attempts, their frequency of attempts from beyond the arc, shooting 40% as a team. It's freaking incredible. My, my thing just comes down to with Utah, and this doesn't bear it out so much in the statistics, is just purely from a matchup perspective, Royce O'Neal gets Kawhi Leonard like over a seven-game series. Like who's defending <laughs> Kawhi Leonard? There's just they don't really have a true wing presence to handle some of the bigger right. guys they're going to see along the perimeter. You know, hundred percent. Again, that's what makes it fascinating yep. though. Because if I go on air and I'm arguing Utah is is great, the way they play, they shoot the three ball. Donovan Mitchell's a walking bucket. Rudy Gobert's going to protect the rim better than anybody in the sport. Mike Conley is probably the most slept-on star in the league this year. He's had the best year of his career, arguably. You know, Ingles and Clarkson give them a shot in the arm. And then somebody says, well, do you trust them as much as LeBron and AD? i got to say no. Yep. Somebody says, well, do you think that Kawhi and Paul George are a better combo than any two players Utah can provide? Yes, I do. Do you think they have anybody to guard LeBron or Kawhi Leonard? And I have to answer no, right? So yep. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And it all goes back to the point. The NBA is typically predictable, and it's something that hurts the NBA from the fan perspective, that and the fact that guys are now resting. And while you and I think it's actually a lucrative proposition that puts betters in, it still is nauseating for the fans. Like, that part of me does get frustrated. The other part is it's too predictable. This is not one of those years. Anybody thinks you could just pencil in the Lakers and the Nets? No, you can't do that. That might be likely in your estimation, but the odds are absolutely against it because there are a number of teams on both sides, I think realistically speaking, three in the East and maybe one or two fringe teams. And, man, I think Utah, both teams in L.A., Phoenix, Denver is now out of the conversation, unfortunately. But there are a handful of teams in the West that can compete and get to the finals, too. I can't wait. Yep. Tom Byrne again with us. Nice enough to give us some time here on the Hardwood Handicappers podcast. One Tom Byrne up on Twitter. That is the number one B-Y-R-N-E. Tom, I know you got a busy day ahead of you, so thank you very much for uh, spending some time. And we'll get you on again as we approach the postseason, which is actually like, what, two and a half weeks away? Yeah, finally. Typically, we'd already be almost yep. through the first round, I guess, right? But this year, it's a strange calendar. But, yeah, we're getting close, finally. 13 games, I think, on average for each team, and then we get to the postseason. Hey, real quick, where can people listen to you? Monday through Friday, NBA radio postgame show, right after the games end, replaying through 7 a.m. Eastern time and available on the SiriusXM app. And Saturday and Sunday, Mad Dog Sports Radio, tonight's weekend, 7 to 11 Eastern time. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 